Welcome to Conversations with Thought Leaders. Here's your host, David Webley. Good, uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Conversations with Thought Leaders. It's 8am here in Melbourne. I'm delighted to be joined by Maggie Roberts, CEO of Creative Factory, one of Australia's most successful design and digital agencies. Good morning, Maggie. How are you today? Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. And thank you for everyone that's joining in today. You've already started your resilience by getting up and starting the day on a positive note. Awesome. Um, welcome to Conversations with Thought Leaders. Um, for regular attendees, you will know, but for those who are joining us um, today for the first time, welcome. Um, this is a project we created at the start of the pandemic to connect our community with inspirational leaders from across the world. Um, I'm also Managing Director of Granite Consulting. We're talent, recruitment and HR experts. And as the pandemic moves, potentially only we're only halfway through it, hopefully not, but who knows, we're spending more and more time helping people manage their careers in this new virtual world. You know, what started as a bit of a novelty is just dragging on and on and on. So that's presenting, you know, real challenges from a career development point of view. Um, and also for companies to avoid fatigue uh, in their people, in attracting, retaining and nurturing their community and their people. So feel free to message me directly if you need to, to talk more about that and, and, and just stay positive, really. Um, bio on, on Maggie before we get into it. So um, as I said, Maggie's the CEO of, the, of Creative Factory, one of Australia's most successful design and digital agencies. They work with brands such as uh, Village Cinemas, Pancake Parlour, CarSales.com, um, and all sorts of other well-known household brands delivering digital experiences. Uh, prior to uh, Maggie's business career, she was an elite athlete uh, competing for us in Australia uh, for Australia for three different sports. Um, the sport she was, uh, I suppose, had the greatest success in and uh, gave her the opportunity to travel the world was was diving, um, having a full scholarship in the US as well. And now she's giving back to the sport she loves so much as the director of Diving Australia for seven years. Alongside that, um, she's also involved in a leadership and mentoring business, helping people realise their full potential. Um, so that's the, uh, that's the bio on, on Maggie. A couple of housekeeping um, items as usual. So we'll be asking for questions as we go through. No such thing as a bad question, as, as you'll have heard me say before. Please ask questions as they come through. We've also got the chat function open, open for any comments, so please uh, contribute to that. Again, um, no such thing as a, a bad comment. Um, we've got a book giveaway as, as we're doing now. So it's The Resilience Project, um, which Pete's going to show. This is The Resilience Project. Um, Hugh van Kylberg, fantastic read. Got several copies of that. So to check everyone's up and at it this morning, can anyone share any good books they're reading or any book recommendations? Uh, first few comments will receive a copy of this book. Has anyone been reading at all? What have we got? People are thinking it through. Uh, the Influential Mind by Tally Sherrott. Beyond Order, Jordan Peterson. The Tribute by John Byron. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Turning Right, their previous guests on our show. Turn the Ship Around. You Are the Brand. Effortless. Amazing. Thank you, everyone. For, uh, stillness is the key. Thank you, everyone, for contributing to that. Fantastic. 
Um, on to the show. Maggie, can you tell us a bit about your backstory, please? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I was born to two North American parents in Melbourne. Um, Dad was a philosopher and, and mum was a school teacher. We didn't come from a lot. We didn't have a lot of support around us. We didn't have family. We didn't have a, a good friends network. But what we did have as a family is what mum and dad's outlook and approach to life. And it's really this foundation that they gave me in that they empowered me to make decisions from an early age, from a youngster. They enabled me to have deep thought and deep thinking and perspective and to enable myself to reflect on those decisions I made as a youngster. And it was these tools that has enabled me to have the success that you spoke of earlier. So from a young age, um, I was a gymnast. Um, from gymnastics, I went into trampolining. And at age 10, I became a world champion trampolinist. From there, I also did tumbling. And that's another sport that I competed for Australia in. And I went to the world championships in tumbling. And from there, trampolining and tumbling at the time wasn't an Olympic sport. So I decided that I wanted to, to take on a sport that was in the Olympics and follow a dream that I had from a very young age. So I pursued diving. And diving was a really successful part of my journey into who I became today. I've learned a lot through that journey um, from being the youngest to compete for Australia in an international event to moving out of home to go to the Australian Institute of Sport in Queensland at age 14. Um, I had a lot of setbacks, but a lot of success. And it was the time that I took through those setbacks to learn and to achieve what I am doing today. Um, from my diving, I traveled the world as you spoke about. I had the opportunity to go on a full scholarship in the United States. And then from that, I, I, I took my, my learnings, my journey, my, my setbacks, my achievements into who I am today, a CEO of Creative Factory and a director of a company called Telemarcus, where we support executives in, in their, their leadership skills and, and finding their, their passion, purpose and meaning to what they want to become and who, how they want to achieve that. Yeah, but it really comes back to, I guess, the foundation of the empowerment that, that my parents gave me. Yeah, fantastic. And just on diving, like so many people, I've enjoyed watching the diving and the Olympics. Yeah. To be honest, it's probably the one, one time that I typically tend to watch it religiously. And yeah. I have to say that particularly the 10 metres, it looks a bit terrifying. I mean, what sort of speed do they hit the water? I mean, that must be uh, a bit of trepidation, right? Absolutely. So the average individual hits the water at 60 kilometres an hour. Wow. So if you can imagine, you know, that's in, in any competition, um, you're doing probably at least 10 dives in competition per day. But the amount of training that you're doing leading up to that event in, you know, in any given session in the afternoon, you could be doing 40, 50, 60 dives off the 10 metres. So you can imagine hitting your hand to a car going at 60 kilometres an hour. So it's all about, you know, um, practice making perfection so that you're not faltering because when you smack, it hurts. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Absolutely. Um, so you lived in Hawaii for five years, I believe. Yes. Can you tell yes. us a bit about how you came to be there and talk to us a bit around that? Yeah. So I had um, an amazing opportunity to go to Hawaii, but how I got there 
it came from a bit of heartache, to be honest. So it was the year leading up to, in, I finished high school in 1999, the year before the Sydney Olympics. And Sydney Olympics was where I was going to be on the stage and compete for Australia in the ultimate games. Um, I had just missed out on 1996 as a 14-year-old. So another four years later, um, I, was, I was hoping to be there. I was Optus star of the future. Everything was heading that way. And unfortunately, I had a, a bad accident off the 10 metre. So at 60 kilometres an hour, I landed, unfortunately, in a um, hyper, hyper perspective on my back, um, which sent me into a world of adversity, a world of challenge, difficult times. Um, and I was out of the water for a good year. I didn't know where, what I was doing, where I was going. I didn't have a backup plan. And nor, and nor should you have backup plans because backup plans is when you can't be 100% towards your goal. If you have a backup plan, I feel that sometimes you're only like, you know, kind of half foot dipped in the water so I had no backup plan and I was okay with that at the time until adversity hit so I decided after a year being out putting on a significant amount of weight not doing a lot um, that it was I was heading in the wrong direction so it was from here after many many countless days of being in a bad dark place that I decided to get up the energy and apply for a a scholarship to five universities in, in the United States. This was unknown to anyone. This was a secret little plan that I had. My parents weren't aware of this um, and I put forward my resume and I had an instant response over, overnight. And I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to choose from a, a few different universities um, and I decided to choose Hawaii. So here I was about to embark on a full scholarship, the University of Hawaii, and I hadn't dived in a year. I was 10 kilos overweight and I had literally sat on the, uh, the couch for a, for a number of months. And so I decided to let's get going. So I started running. I started the first day. I did it the second day. I did it the third day. And all of a sudden I was in this momentum. I was in this zone yeah. of getting fit. I still wasn't on the springboard. So then I decided that I was going to take a skill that I learned as a youngster and that was visualisation. And the visualisation came about being able to see and train myself in those dives before I was fit enough to get back on the diving board to be able to withstand that 60 kilometres an hour that you spoke about earlier. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Just on the, on the just interested to hear you talk about backup plans because... Yeah. What you've seen in the last few years, if you look at in the business world, a lot of people talk about side hustles. Yeah. And then so some people, you know, that works for them. And I understand the concept of, you know, you've got stable work, side hustle. Let's see if I can get something going and then maybe do that. But then uh, I guess you can counter that by saying, well, actually, you're either all in or, or you're not type of thing. So it's an interesting sort of par paradigm, really. So um, can you talk a bit around that? And yeah, around that. It's, a, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because all of us with the, um, the momentum of digital, it's an exciting place. You know, I've, I've worked in digital now for, gosh, 16 years, um, you know, and, and, you know, we've created many startups, many very successful startups. And the whole concept of a side hustle is very um, achievable now. However, I do find that, you know, if we've got the day job and we're working hard and putting all our energies in that, it's yeah. all, it's very, very difficult to be doing the side hustle to the best of your ability. 
finding the time, finding the energy, finding that resilience, um, if you do desire to do the two, is a difficult challenge. And I take my hat off to anyone that is doing that right now, as well as, you know, leading leading the life that we all do, you know, partners, children, um, friends, um, family members, um, and, and currently dealing with what we're going through at this moment with the pandemic. But I do feel that there is something about giving your 100% to that item that you that you feel purpose about, that you feel passionate about, that you truly believe that you're going to seek your dream, achieve your goals, and see the success that you're after. I also think in the in the new world, you know, the concepts of clock in, clock out is you know pretty much dead and buried. You know, in the type of you know digital work, for example. Yeah. So I think companies are more interested in deliverables and also more flexible we're finding to part-time work so maybe it's keep doing what you're doing for three days a week instead of five and then use the other two days to try and you know start whatever you're trying to do yeah I think the world's more open to that than maybe it was you know two three four five years ago yeah absolutely like the way I view our workplace in at Creative Factory is that there's 24 hours a day, but there is seven days, but I'd like to keep that to five because I do feel that we need to rest and recover. I do feel that if we're going to be on our aid game, that we can't be doing that seven days a week. We do need to have that diversity to rest and recover, to be front and centre, to have um, concentration, to have the ability to execute at that high level of excellence that we seek each day, um, five days a week. So, the way I approach it with my staff is that there are tasks, there are um, deadlines, there are meetings. However you achieve that within the 24 hours, I'm okay with that because I think that yeah. we need to be agile in our approach because we are all different. We all do perform better at different types of times of the day. Definitely. You know, I'm an early riser. I get up early. I, I do, you know, some of my work very on. Then I go into, you know, my physical activity and then I'm back at my desk. So, you know, I can't, I can't expect everyone to have the same timeline of performance that I do. So we've got that back bracket of 24 hours. Achieve what you need to in the time that works best for you and all the different things that you've got going on in your life. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. And I'd like to get your advice and, and what you think and what you say to your teams around the rest and recover piece, because we hear it a lot that people are trying finding it hard to switch off because, you know, are we working from home or are we now living at work is, is the great debate. So yeah. how in this new world, what are any tips and tricks to rest and recover? Because I know people are saying, hey, I get up. I pretty much might do some exercise, have a coffee, work all day, have some food, you know, yeah. repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do, I, do, I do think rest and recovery is exceptionally important. I think that, you know, we all need to bring a form of creativity to our workplace each and every day. And creativity create, um, needs a lot, of, a lot of energy. And it also needs breaks to find that ability to think differently, dream strategize come up with new techniques come up with better ways of efficiency and yeah. so the way I, I i take it on and i advise advise my some of my staff is to find some structure to yeah. plan out your day to find some some disciplines that enables you to 
have the ability to find that creativity, have the ability to have downtime, have the ability to find that that thinking time so that that structure day in, day out enables you to get in the groove, get in the zone so that you can back it up the next day and not find ourselves being burnt out. Because as you say, you know, we are now in this new environment and this, this new environment negates our ability to get in the car, drive to work. It negates our ability to go for a quick walk down the street to get a coffee with our, with our colleagues. So we are now, you know, finding these breaks in the day that does give us this time to, to rest and reflect taken away from us. So, But I, I do believe that we still need to instill that into our daily practices because otherwise it is a monotonous momentum that sees us at the end of the day, at the end of the week, the end of the month, burnt out and not enjoying what we're doing. Yeah. So there's a lot of leaders joining us today. And it's interesting, though, and I, I completely get when do you do your best work and then work working on different things for me in the morning it might be writing or, or whatever it might be for different people um some people are more nocturnal but yeah that's sort of very contemporary thinking what advice or any ideas for people who are working in you know large companies that might have more of still we still see a lot of that traditional hierarchies in companies so how can leaders who embrace your contemporary thinking should we say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm get some of this through in companies that still a bit stayed. And last year, a lot of people said, oh, yeah, we're going to change a lot. But humans are creatures of habit. Yes. Lots of businesses, as soon as they could get back people in the office, tried to do exactly that. Yes. Um, so is it, can you offer any counsel to leaders how they can try and move companies from the old world into this new contemporary way of working? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head and that's change. Um, we are, as humans, re- you know, resistant to change. Yep. But the fact is, is that we need to embrace change. Yep, and and change is scary. Change is change is a a, a discussion of conflict, and that's also something um, humans don't like is is conflict. And I'm finding in the workplace at the moment is that you've got um, barriers of, of, of different, demograph- di- different demographics. Yeah. And so often, you know, you've got people in leadership that come from a very traditional background. They've had their success from that traditional background. They've, they've worked nine to five, five days a week for a very long time. And they've, they've wrote, risen the company and the organization to see that success. But it is time to change and and I think that we need to be persistent in that change so that we can grow probably faster more effectively and more efficiently as organizations our skill sets are actually changing and growing at a faster pace than ever before because we now have access for learning and education at the at the tip of our fingers so so if we don't embrace change, we're only going to slow down that progress. So I think it's having those difficult conversations, those conversations of conflict with those that don't see that change, that see that vision quite yet. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's diving in the deep end and, and, and approaching it. And don't, don't be, I guess, um, disappointed by the first conversation because I think that is that is that continual conversation and, you know, making suggestions and being proactive and being positive that eventually we'll see that change, change take place. Yeah, fantastic. Um, 
you were speaking about visualization and, and that being an important strategy to you. Can you talk a bit about visualization and then lead that into how that links up with perhaps resilience and when the concept of resilience was something that you started to really, you know, pursue seriously? Yeah, absolutely. So, so visualization, I believe, is a secret tool. And I would love you all to, if you don't already, um, just try it because it's been a secret tool for me for many years. Um, I, I learned it as an innate skill as, as a 10-year-old leading, leading up to the World Championships. I just love trampolining. I just, I couldn't get enough of it. So at night after training for, for my three, four hours that day, I would actually rehearse my routines in my head as I went to sleep. And all of a sudden I could, I could actually feel it. I could see it. I could feel my leotard. I could feel the, the, the weight of my body into the trampoline mat. I could feel the, the warmth of the room. And then all of a sudden in the lead up to the world championships, I started thinking about how I was going to compete. And I was, and I, I enabled myself to, to be able to compete my routines at the absolute perfection. And then I took it a step further and imagined myself on the on the dais winning the gold medal. Yeah. That was such a powerful experience at age 10. Yeah. I then have taken that skill set into all walks of my life. Um, yeah. And if I I truly believe if you have a dream, yeah. if you can visualize that dream, you can believe that dream and then you can achieve it. And I truly think the power of the mind being able to see something enables you to believe it. And when you believe in something, there is nothing stopping you from achieving it. Fantastic. I'm really interested to know if anyone's got any examples of visualisation that they could share in the chat function. Um, I don't mind kicking it off. Uh, So I recently did the Great Ocean Road Marathon with Pete Langerfeld, our videographer, I'd been stuck on a, a number of marathons and I really wanted to get to a certain number for, for whatever reason. And so I really visualized because I've got a bad knee, you know, break it down, this 5K, this 10K. And, and that really helped me get through it, really, uh, alongside listening to podcasts. Has anyone else got anything they're prepared to share? Because I agree that the power of the mind, they say the mind's your biggest battle, isn't it? You yeah. know, it's always with you. It's always there you know, feeding into you. Is, have we got anything, anyone, anything want, want to share around visualisation? Uh, what have we got? Just checking the uh, chat function. Uh, see what's coming through. Performers like great musicians do it to great effect, great way to frame the mind and beat stage fright. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing, David. The next house, the next holiday. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Holidays, overseas holidays, they seem like a long way away. Uh, Yeah, well, thank you for sharing those anyway. And so when did you start thinking about um, resilience seriously then, Maggie? So I I guess resilience came to me when I was fought with that adversity, um, you know, as as before the the Sydney Olympics. And, you know, I think that that's when I realised truly the power of the mind. And it was 
taking everything within me to overcome the state of mind I was in. Now, it wasn't my physical injury had have healed by then. So it was just the state of mind. It wasn't my inability to be back up front and centre fit and on the diving boards. It was just my mindset holding me back. So that was a huge learning journey for me. And once I conquered that, I realised that it's not actually about the skill sets, the experience, the understanding that the purpose and the passion that we all have in different ways, it's actually about the mindset. And it's the mindset in a number of facets, but most importantly, is the resilience because resilience is needed on a daily basis. It yep. what gets us up, it what gets us going, it enables us to tackle the adversity that comes in our life, whether it's small or quite large and all of us are faced with, resil- uh, with, with adversity and we need that resilience to tap into um, to obviously continue going, especially through hard times that we're, we're going through now. Absolutely. And so do you think with resilience, you obviously you have your sort of your formula that works for your mind and, and what you do on the days where we all have days where we're just struggling you know particularly at the moment the perennial lockdowns and someone said to me you know in Victoria we're gonna have snap openings as opposed to snap lockdowns and so how do you deal with there are days when we all just feel pretty average about what's going on out there and other days when you know we put our best foot forward so just just the concept and how you approach resilience needs to sort of be flexible for how you're feeling each day yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be lying here to say that, you know, I wake up every day feeling, feeling wonderful. Um, <coughs> but what I do have is, 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 is structure and discipline. Yeah. I have a very, very structured lifestyle. I always have. I, I learned that as a young age. The structure enables me to no matter what, how I'm feeling, what my mindset is at, whether it's a dark and gloomy day or a beautiful sunny one. That structure enables me to follow a routine that works for me. And then it's the discipline that I ensure that I go through those tasks that make me be the best version of me on a daily basis. Now, there's days that I don't necessarily want to get up and jump out and go for that 5K, 10K, 20K run. I I too have done a marathon um, and um, that, that does take um a lot of effort and energy but it's the structure and the discipline that enables me to have some ticks in my daily life there's nothing better than ticking something off off the list and now I'm not um I'm not religious about striking things off a list but I do have that structure that enables me to do some things in my daily routine that makes me feel good and I think that when we're doing positive things for ourselves that assists in our self-esteem, that assists in us feeling good, not only about ourselves, but about our friends, family, our work, that enables us to really find that little bit of something to get through a hard and gloomy day. Fantastic. And just a reminder, if you've, anyone's got any questions, please fire them through and we'll weave them into the conversation. We're going to go to a poll, actually. Um, because I'm really interested to know what everyone feels. So uh, Pete's going to share the poll. So what do you consider is most important to being resilient? Is it being bulletproof, not being affected by setbacks? Being creative. We spoke a bit about the growth, growth mindset. 
being able to reframe challenges as opportunities, being focused, clear vision, not being distracted, tunnel vision, I suppose you could call that, being optimistic, looking on the bright side, being energetic or something else. So we would value your input to this. Um, and then we're going to hear from Maggie around, you know, definitions around resilience and uh, the answers should be coming in soon. Where are we up to? I think the poll's coming through. So, yeah, interesting, actually. Do you want to talk us through those, Maggie, and, and give us a few views on that, please? Yeah, definitely. It's it's interesting. I would actually say, um, you know, I, I would choose all of those, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, <laughs> it's it's... it's and I don't think there's right, there's definitely not a right or wrong answer in any of this. Um, but I think one of the ones that I would gravitate towards most is being creative, growth mindset, being able to reframe challenges as opportunities. And I, I, I see this because it's quite positive. It's a quite a positive way of looking at, at resilience. And I think having a positive mindset enables us to have creativity, to have growth and being able to look at opportunities in, in the face of the challenges and adversity. Um, but you also need to obviously have clear vision, clear focus, be energised, be um, ready to pivot um, in terms of, you know, instead of running into a wall, find the ways to go over the wall. And, and I think that so all those points were, were really valid, but I would obviously go with the most positive one being creativity. Yeah. And I think... The, the word creative, I think you almost need to sort of, you know, just put it in context that really you're talking about that open-mindedness. I mean, I've been thinking to myself a lot when we see the terribly sad scenes happening in Afghanistan, you know, no matter how tough it is for us in Melbourne, you know what, it's a lot worse for an awful lot of people out there. So, you know, you sort of being grateful for what you've got. So it's having that open-mindedness within creativity, right? Absolutely. I agree. Very good. So defining resilience. I'm interested to know how you define resilience. Yep. Well, the, the actual definition of resilience is, is quite boring. So, you know, it's resilience is the ability to withstand adversity and bounce back from difficult life events. Yep. But I like to look at it a little bit sparkly. Right. Think of a diamond. Yep. It came from a piece of charcoal that eloquently handled stress exceptionally. It yeah, found yeah. its uniqueness. It made it, it, it got through a challenging time and it became this beautiful diamond. Yeah. And I like to see resilience as that because yeah. I think through time, through challenge, through adversity yeah. and through uniqueness that we can come out as a, as a beautiful gift that this world has to give. And we all have so much to offer. And if we can find our little bit of sparkly, then we're on the path of complete happiness, contentment, resilience, and offering the best version of ourselves on a daily basis. Fantastic. And so what role do values play in resilience? So you talk about being the best version of yourself. Presumably, if you want to be the best version of yourself, you have to have a view around, you know, what you're looking to get out of life and what you're going to contribute and strengths and weaknesses and values and that type of thing. So can you talk a bit around how important it is 
knowing, understanding your values and then bringing that into your resilience plan, we could call it, if for want of a better thing. Yes. So I, I firmly believe that values are the essence of our being. I'm a big believer of knowing who you are and what values you stand for and yep. living those day by day. So I think that values play a huge important aspect to resilience. But it's not having resilience in your, you know, bag, bag of values. It's actually having other elements that contribute to resilience, such as courage, strength, excellence, perseverance, belief, all yeah. these different attributes that are, that, that are actually core values of mine enable me to find that resilience when it matters. And so I think that values are intrinsic and getting to know your values. And I, and I, I would recommend to take some time out. If, if you can't clearly and articulately find what your values mean to you, take that moment, put aside three hours and, and really have a deep dive into what's important to you, what values at the core of who you are and how you want to live. Because when we remind ourselves of them and we live by them, we know we're on the right path for ourselves. Fantastic. And how do you feel about the concept? You know, people talk about acceptance or surrender and knowing your values. So how important do you think it is just to sort of, you know, that concept of being really honest with yourself which isn't always hard. It's often quite hard, rather, for a lot of people to really accept where they're at and the type of person they are. Is there any counsel you can give to people or advice you can give to people around, you know, how they can really get a true picture of where they're at? Yeah. I I have this, this little quote for myself, um, and it, it's reflect, don't regret. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, we often make mistakes. We, uh, we make, you know, success comes from failures. But if we take the time to reflect, we're not regretting. And I don't think that any of us deserve to regret. I think that if we reflect, we can take the time to learn and to grow from the mistakes that we've made. Yeah. And I think having that honest and transparent conversation with yourself is critical in being able to learn from the mistakes that we've made. But be nice in the process. Be nice to yourself saying, I'm not going to regret this, but I'm going to reflect, learn and grow. Yeah, fantastic. So learning and growing. Talk to us a bit around, there's a lot of stuff and we've spoke, you know, in previous episodes around, you know, the 1%, the marginal gains, but then there's actually um, a podcast I share a lot, the High Performance Podcast with, Paul McGinley, who's a golfer and rider cap- captain, his view is the, the quote from Corey Pavin is the next, the big thing is the big thing. You yeah. know, so you can argue it either way. What's your view as people want to become more resilient, you know, marginal gains versus the big thing is the big thing? Yeah, so I think it's, 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 it's taking the time. So we often are fought with wanting to achieve certain goals and success doesn't happen overnight. The big thing doesn't happen overnight. An athlete's journey, we would have all heard about it. It's it's 20 years of serious training, serious structure, discipline, heartache, setbacks. 
But we often take for granted that it sh- that the, the time and effort and energy involved to create the dream, the success, yeah. the vision that we have. So I say take the time, but practice it on a daily basis yeah. because every single step counts. Yeah. And it might even be sometimes the step back that actually yeah. is more important than the two steps forward. Yeah. So I guess my, my, my words are is take the time, be kind to yourself, enjoy yeah. the journey, but understand the purpose and understand the end point where you're trying to get to. Because if we don't think big, the big will never eventuate. Yeah. So have that dream, set the, um, have the, the milestones that you're going to, to achieve yeah. it. But don't be too hasty in making sure that you create it faster yeah. than anyone else. And yeah. think, about, think about successful businesses. First to market often aren't the most successful. It's often the second or the third to market that are most successful. So learn from what's out there. Take the time. Be kind to yourself. Understand what the big thing is and enjoy the journey getting there. So I really would just want to go back to speaking about structure. And it strikes me that, you know, elite athlete to business, you know, clearly to be an elite athlete, you've got to have a lot of structure around training programs, rituals, daily habits, all that type of thing. So structure in the work sense for a lot of people pre-pandemic was leaving your house to travel to work and go and sit in an office or a you know, a chef in a kitchen or working on it in a construction environment, whatever it might be, you're going to work and you're, you're getting into the workplace. So for a lot of people that's gone. So how can people, any tips and tricks, build structures and routines and healthy habits when every day for a lot of people is a different version of the one before or similar version of the one before rather? Yeah, yeah, really, really good question. And I think something that most of us have been trying to conquer now for, gosh, 20 months, how do I bring my norm into my abnorm? And so the the way I approach this is I'm actually living my life as if I had that, that, that society structure that we had once before. I get up, I do my training. My training has changed. I no longer can go to the gym, but I, you know, whether it's running, I'm not joking, up and down the driveway, or it's, um, you know, doing some exercises or doing, you know, a, you know, if if it's my day off, you know, it might be a mindset exercise. I actually pack my lunch still. Yeah. Okay. That is part of my routine that I have brought into my daily life here because we can all at moments continue to go to the fridge. We'll continue to, you know, we want to snack, you know, on, on, on things that we shouldn't be snacking on. Does it make us feel good? No. Does it affect our ability to have that, that energy, that concentration, that focus? Yes. So it's finding those little bits of routine that we did prior and bringing them into uh, our, our new norm. You know, it's, it's getting up and putting on corporate clothes. It's getting up and, you know, potentially putting on some makeup or, you know, having a shave or whatever it may be, because these are the little things that actually make us and make us get up and have front. And yep. front, we want to be in the best position as possible because we want to protect our perception to those that are important to us, whether it be our colleagues, whether it be our bosses, whether it be a a client, 
because we all feel good about being professional, yeah. being the best version as ourselves yeah. and yeah. contributing so that at the end of the day, I can say, I had a good day. I feel good about what I've done today. And finding those little bits and pieces that we know that are important to us, but sometimes we just don't have the, the energy or effort into it. Put them back into your routine so that you, at the end of the day or at the end of the week or at the end of the month, know that yeah. I've done all I can do and I'm actually proud of what I've contributed. There's absolute gold around the concept of packing your lunch because I guess like so many as others in the last 18 months, you know, you walk past your fridge and you have like a Homer Simpson moment and it seems to <laughs> magnetically open the door and you end up eating something you think, oh, I wasn't even really hungry, I just thought something to do. Yeah, yeah so that's an absolute gold to do that. Yeah, I've heard of people, you know, going out to their front door and then going back into their front door mm-hmm. and, you know, sort of trying to get some sort of separation, really. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. Just, just keep trying, you know, you'll you'll find your mode, you'll find your zone, you know, just just but but be, be, be creative in finding these things, you know, and 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 write some ideas down and and have them ready to go the next day so that when you wake up, you've actually got that structure, all those ideas that you came up with at the moment of frustration, at the moment when you're like, I shouldn't have eaten that, write down, you know, okay, what am I going to do tomorrow? How am I going to change this? And then you'll have that list ready to go the next day. Yeah. And just to pick up on something we were discussing earlier that I completely agree with around knowing when you do your best work, but if you're still in an environment where maybe your your boss or your boss's boss doesn't subscribe to that, how can you have that conversation with people in the workforce around, you know, the future of work? It's, it's really tough for a lot of people to say, you know what, I'm going to be not working between two and four because I'm going to be doing some homeschooling or whatever, and then I'm going to be online from seven to nine. There's still, you know, a lot of people are open to it, but there's still quite a bit of old-fashioned thinking out there. Yeah, there there definitely is. Um, It's not easy. It's not easy. It's confronting conflict and friction. And that is something that, you know, I definitely don't like to put my hand up on a daily basis for doing, but it's finding that creative means and understanding who you're talking to to be able to position in a way that um, aligns with their values and their thoughts, but also making sure that you're protecting yourself. And so I think that if you can if you can find means of having those difficult conversations that, you know, slowly but surely will eventually alter their ways of thinking for your benefit yeah. is you're going to find that you're getting progress. Yeah. And it's not about perfection, you know, it's about progress into the perfection that if you're making little bit little bit by changes and showing and demonstrating that actually altering the way in which you know the traditional ways of working is actually benefiting you and you're actually being able to deliver more efficiently more effectively and more outstanding work and I would say unless they're just purely not right for the working world (laughs) they're going to start to listen and adopt the best thing for you because that's what it's about it's about you and what works best for you which in turn is going to benefit the organization yeah fantastic so as a leader so you've got your own resilience plan worked out for yourself then one thing we did as a team was talk about daily habits routines 
and share it as a team to try and help everyone become more resilient. So how is it, any leadership te- tips for helping your teams become more resilient? Anything? Yeah, it's um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It's, it's because as a, as a leader, yeah. we are naturally trying to motivate um be positive, be upbeat um, to assist our staff in what they're going through. But at the same time, we're going through the same challenges. And so first of all, be kind to yourself, be nice to yourself, um, implement some of the structure that will work for you and then find that discipline. But in terms of bringing that to your staff and trying to, to, I guess, educate and support them, I think it comes through, you know, talking to them about that you're, you know, in an empathetic way, in an awareness way, understanding um, at a unique individual level what that person's going through because we all are dealing with the current situation of the pandemic on an individual basis because we all come from different backgrounds, different experiences. Our own family environment is all very different So I think that if you can find that time, whether it's five minutes to be able in in a week or in a month or however it may be to to seek out a conversation at an individual basis and have an empathetic conversation about how they're going, what's working for them, what's not working for them, be be transparent, honest and show your vulnerability as a leader as well. So that they can relate because often as leaders, we put up this front that we are strong and that we are resilient and we are successful, but it's, it's, it's not always the case. And if we can show our vulnerability and our empathy and understanding of what they're going through and then give them some tricks of what we've spoken about today you know, does it help to maybe yeah. find some structure? You know, what makes you feel good? Could you find some time in your day to to proactively engage in these activities? Can yeah. we set some goals for you? What What do we want to achieve this week? You know, yeah. help build their confidence yeah. that they know that at the end of the day you've got their back, yeah. that they're supported and that you are someone that they can reach out to and talk to and that you're going to listen and and give them some helpful tricks and tips, whether it be around structure or discipline or being kind to themselves or or making sure that they get rest and recovery. I've heard a lot of stories about people so concerned about performance and that they're going to lose this lose their job because of the financial crisis that 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 we're we're embarking on or soon going to embark on that they are just overworking and trying to overperform but it's those individuals that need to be told you need to rest and recover because we don't want burnt out employees definitely so how do you balance um and we've got some questions particularly around you know the mental health piece but what's your view around resilience is it just mental or physical resilience as well but more in the sort of, the, not in the elite athlete context, more in the business context. Yeah. It's, um, to be honest, um, without the appropriate mindset, your skill set's not going to be there. Yeah. And so resilience is a, a mindset that enables the skill set to come to fruition. Yeah. And it's that, it's that teachings of resilience, fueling one's resilience, um, with positivity and there's ways in which we learn 
resilience, it's not something that comes overnight. It's something that comes through experience, reflection, self-awareness, understanding yourself intrinsically, what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and finding that inner belief that you can keep going no matter what you are faced with, no matter how difficult the situation you're in, that you've got this innate belief within yourself that you can keep going and that you will keep going. And at the end of the day, that light will shine and then you will become that sparkly element that I spoke about. Fantastic. And I think, you know, you only have to look at the Olympics and prior to that, the Naomi Osaka, you know, the tennis player and Simone Biles saying, you know, it's okay to start to talk about this stuff. Whereas previously it was almost a taboo subject. You know, it's okay to talk about, you know, pulled hamstring, but talking yeah. about your mind not being right. And that's well, you know. I know. It, it, it's, it's actually fascinating to see why we actually never brought this up, to be yeah. honest, you know, because I truly believe the power of the mind yeah, yeah. It, it has has more talent than the physical attributes. Why and so you we didn't talk about it before then? Sorry, say that again? Why do you think we haven't talked about it so much before? I really don't know, to be honest. It, it, it almost prior to this current day, it was seen as failure. It was seen yeah. as that you are not strong enough. Um, yeah. But really, you know, our mindset is our biggest talent. It's our biggest skill set. So really, you know, the fact that someone tears a hamstring is 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 unfortunate, but that could be due to a number of reasons that they could have avoided. Yeah, yeah. And so the fact that we've always seen that having an injury is 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 what happens, and it, it, it's it's sad and it's it's adversity based to the athlete, the mindset, and why we haven't spoken about it and the importance of it, it, it baffles me because it truly is the essence of greatness in yeah. in all walks of life. Yeah, fantastic. We've got some uh, questions coming through, so if we could just. Um... <clears throat> So a lot of people with mental health challenges. So as a leader, you know, not talking from a, a medical viewpoint whatsoever, but how can you help your people uh, with, you know, mental health challenges? Any quick advice you can give or some of the things to look out for maybe? Yeah, I, um, that, you know, I, I myself, you know, in, in Creative Factory and, and some of my, my colleagues and some of my clients, um, you know, we've, we've had honest and transparent conversations about their, their mental health. And it's not something that we should be afraid of talking about. And I think that the more that you can tap into your staff and understand your staff, listen to their voice, listen to their inclination, look at their nonverbal communication through a Zoom meeting. I, I advise where you can to ask people to put on their videos so you can see their facial expression, you yep. can hear their tone of voice. We communicate 90% through nonverbal communication. This is unfortunately one, um, one of the many um, negatives about, you know, having to work through this medium. That yep. if we pay attention, we can see changes in our staff. And it's at that moment that you go, hang on, they didn't seem quite right today. Pick yeah. up the phone call and ask them, are they okay? What can I do to help you? What's going on? Can I assist you in any way? Because when someone asks, we know that they've got our back and they feel supported. And that's it's really, really important during these times because you don't want at the end of the day that you, you're, lo you're losing a, a critical staff member 
and feeling that you couldn't have helped them earlier. Yeah, fantastic. So we've got a few more questions. We've got about five minutes or so left. So we'll just uh, get into some of these as well, if we may. So uh, David comments that maybe part of the traditional stigma around mental health is people are resistant to talking about mindsets. Yeah, could, could well be the case. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and where that stigma came from, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's quite fascinating. And, you know, I think I, I might take the time to research into that into that why um it doesn't make a lot of sense to me but obviously that is modern day thinking and and being influenced by the amazing people that are that are leading that thought and that thought change cool uh troy's got a question and it's a tricky question but one that millions are struggling with across billions probably across the world how do you balance doing your best work with having children at home either through homeschooling or being sick really Good question. Um, and, if you can answer that question accurately. <laughs> um, so I am the proud mother of, of three stepchildren. I've got a, a 20, 17-year-old and a 13-year-old. Um, and, you know, there, there's boyfriends and, and what the like. So we have, a, we have a very, very busy household. And it's finding that balance is about really tapping into when you can perform at your best from a work perspective and when the people within your family need you most. So when can you structure your day around those key elements? So, for instance, if you need to be ready to be cooking dinner because you've got hungry mouths to be feeding, structure your day to cater for that. If you need to be homeschooling, structure your day to cater for that. But work it around when you can also be at peak performance from, um, you know, your your day-to-day job. Yeah. What what you are going through is is so so difficult. Um, I do not have the magic wand. I wish I did, but yeah. I think that finding structure and discipline and explaining to the little people. Now I know that little people can you know range from from two to twenty, and where they're at with their own journey is quite difficult. But if yeah. you can have those conversations, that you know you're going to be with them and be present when you are with them. Um, yeah. Make sure that, you know, if you're going to take the time in, in homeschooling, turn off your phone or, you know, where you can put, put the computer screen away so that they feel that they're getting what they need. But you also feel good about that as well. So I think that it comes to finding that structure that has that balance within and being regimented around that. And to be honest, um, if that means getting up a little bit earlier or a little bit staying a little bit later not to work harder but to work smarter is is my advice around that fantastic uh final quick comment on a question because you've answered around young people talking openly and honestly thank you salvi um graham just wonders any advice few ideas around how to reflect better as opposed to regretting yeah, definitely. Um, good question. Really good question. Um, regret is a horrible feeling. Um, I, 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 I want to live a life without regret. Um, and I think that we could all benefit from doing so as well. Yep. So it's really taking the time, actually stopping, stopping at the instance where you made a mistake or stopping at the, the end of a chapter that you're changing and actually giving yourself time with a pen and paper. And actually writing down what went wrong, what did you learn from it, and what am I going to change to never do it again? Or what am I going to to change to alter 
the situation that this has happened. And I honestly think that take the time, get the pen and paper, write it down, and then enable yourself to have that gratitude of reflection and not regret. Because now once you've done that, you're actually moving forward with those words of wisdom that you've written down and you're focusing on that as opposed to the notion of regret. Fantastic. Two final things. Uh, and I'll encourage, encourage everyone to connect with you on LinkedIn. I know yep. you've got some stuff you do as a business. Are you still diving? And, and give us a quick 60 seconds on Creative Factory. Yeah. So am I still diving? No, um, but I have had this little inkling that during the pandemic when we can't do much, is that something that um, I, I might want to persevere in, in trying yeah. to do? Um, probably not, but if I was, I'd obviously have to dig deep into that that big bag of resilience to do yeah. so. Um, I do miss it. I love being able to be free and fly through the air and, and land in the water. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic sport. So anyone that has a young kid, um, I couldn't I couldn't support the sport more. It's a beautiful right. sport to get involved in. Cool. Um, and then Creative Factory, you know, we are a holistic design and, and development agency. We've had fantastic success in, um, you know, in startups, but as well as small businesses through to large corporate organisations. Right. Um, we, we handle our client relations with the values that I've spoken about today and it's an absolute privilege to see organization achieve digital success commercial success we um we uh we partner with our clients and we obviously go along the journey with them and and help them achieve their goals fantastic and we'll also send out a link to uh, your profile to all the attendees today so we're out of time so Maggie thanks for an amazing discussion you know resilience so important never more so um, I know you're busy, so really appreciate your time. And I wish everyone all the best, you know, stay safe. And I'd just like to quote a line from a Simon and Garfunkel song, a great song called The Only Living Boy in New York. I've got nothing to do today but smile. So <laughs> I'd encourage everyone to try and bring some positivity, keep smiling, keep supporting each other and enjoy, the, enjoy your day and have a great yep. rest of the week. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you. Really appreciate your time, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. This episode of Conversations with Thought Leaders was brought to you by Granite Consulting. To stay up to date with future episodes or access the library of past episodes, register for future events and other valuable resources, follow the Conversations with Thought Leaders LinkedIn page or visit the website at www.cwtleaders.com.